welcome if you're just joining us. You've got Living Writers and John Hodgman and T. Hetzel here. Welcome, John. What was that crazy music? <laughs> well, it was um, it was kindly found for us by by Brian Delaney, who's engineering in the engineering hot seat today. And it's a uh, uh, Brian. Are you on mic too? It's like BBC sound sound bites. Uh, yeah, it's actually uh, the John Baker tapes. From the BBC Radiophonics archives. Wow. Yeah, really great music. I want that to be my new theme song. <laughs> As you walk down the street and well, it just it sounds it sounds like uh, an educational film from the 70s, which I mean, I'm sure it comes from the 60s or so. It sounds like that that brand of electronic music they, they used to introduce Doctor Who and stuff. <laughs> Exactly. I was also reminded of R two D two a little bit. Like, yeah. like he might have perked up. Like that would be something he could dance to. Is that the Living Writers theme song? <laughs> no, but maybe it will be after no, this. No, I called it. I called it. <laughs> okay, well, arm wrestle for it. Oops. I have, I have my own theme song anyway. <laughs> what is your theme song? Is it the one that's on your on your iPhone? Oh, this uh, iPhone. iPhone. Have you ever heard of these? These iPhones. <laughs> on your iPhone. I uh, well, I have I have a theme song that is written for me by Jonathan Colton, my my Feral Mountain Man troubadour. <laughs> a um, nice photo in in more information than you require. Not an animal. Yes. Under no, his no, photo. no, 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 no. He's a he is a he is a human being, just one who has an enormous beard, eats raw meat, and can uh, bite through bicycle chains with his razor sharp teeth. But uh, and like he's a also Wolverine. The, yes, like a Wolverine, indeed, like a Michigan Wolverine. Um, but he's a uh, he's also a gentle soul who writes music and um, apparently is enjoying some success on the internet. Bless him. And therefore, he is now uh, in uh, England and Ireland, uh, fulfilling his lifelong dream of chasing all the cats out of Ireland. So he could not come with me to Michigan yet again. Because today you'll be at Borders tonight. I'll be at Borders tonight, tonight at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. And that's that's the downtown Borders. Yeah. Right? On Liberty. If that's what you tell me. Well, it's... it's... All, I, all I know is where the limousine takes me. <laughs> that's which right. is actually not a joke. <laughs> Did you have a limo, John? A, what not happened? A, not a limousine. Not a stretch oh, limousine. No. Um, is it like a stretch Hummer? A town, yeah, it is. It's a space shuttle white, thirteen seat stretch Hummer. It's actually the front half of a Hummer. Half of it is Hummer. Half of it is Cadillac Escalade. I, I wondered why you were wearing the ruffled shirt today. Yeah, well, it's because uh, that's is how I feel when I come into Michigan. I want to show everyone a party. And there will be a party tonight at Borders. There will be seven a, p.m. Well, there will be a literary reading. There will be. <laughs> Uh, otherwise known as a party. Yes, right? I suppose so. Hi, I'm John Hodgman, author of More Information Than You Require, a book of complete world knowledge and sequel to my best-selling book of complete world knowledge, The Areas of My Expertise. You may also know me as a former professional literary agent and former contributing writer at New York Times Magazine. My printed work has appeared in McSweeney's, The Paris Review, GQ, Men's Journal, and uh, For the Groom Magazine, a magazine for grooms did not last very long for horses or for people getting married no for well you know the bridal magazine industry oh, okay. is is gigantic and so some right. uh not so bright person thought you know what men want to buy ma these magazines too and they don't I, they I, just want to go to strip clubs that's right but the trick would be making it seem to the the bride that it was necessary for them to have a subscription to it yeah well i mean that I would think, have been the, yeah, the marketing I think, angle i think right? that you would have made it a big success i think <laughs> yeah 
I think that uh, the mistake was that it was actually sort of marketed to, towards men. Like, they actually thought men were going to go to a newsstand and say, how do I get the perfect abs for my wedding day? Right. But I wrote but, something about honeymoons there. A little thing on uh, travel. I don't remember anymore. It's all in the past. Was it actually, was it sort of a, a, a narrative piece about your own honeymoon? No, no, it was not narrative. It was pure service journalism. <laughs> this was when I was a professional man. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this was, you know, when I was a freelance magazine writer, you know, and you just took an assignment and you became an expert on a particular subject really quickly, or you learned just enough in order to plausibly pretend to be an expert. And then you moved on to the next thing, and that's how I. Is that uh, what launched trained. you? Yeah, that's how I trained to be a fake expert in complete world knowledge. That was your apprenticeship. Uh, it was at indeed. The at and the... it paid it paid uh, about as much as an apprenticeship as well. Yeah. Um, and thanks, uh, thanks for actually doing your biography part of the show. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> I thought it would make things easier for everybody. Yeah, I won't read this one now. Yeah, <laughs> John Hodgman, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and pets, if you're listening. This is my third time on the Living Writers Program. It is. Here at, uh, at uh, W, call sign, call sign. C- what is it? It's WCBN, CBN. Yes, FM Ann right. Arbor. Okay. Official station ID, WCBN, FM Ann Arbor. Um, you're your third time. You said I remember the name of the program. I'm sorry that I, I blanked on the call sign. I've been on tour for... For this for this paperback edition of more information than you require now for, for for how long for several days not very long I mean you know Friday Saturday Sunday Monday what is this Tuesday fifth day Wednesday actually sixth that's day. the live spot is Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> and you said you've had a couple of rough evenings too so it's well good. they weren't they weren't rough it's just that you know last night I was in the the fictional city of Chicago and when I go and visit my friends in the fictional city of Chicago on uh, on stage um, a tradition, an ill-thought-out tradition has emerged of everyone enjoying a bitter liqueur native to Chicago called Malort. And by bitter, I mean really, really bitter. Like, far more bitter than any digestif you've ever had. And um, I don't think I've ever had a digestif well, or said it. Well, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm trying to think of an equivalent, um, like a chinar or... An Italian Amaro is a bitter. These are all things that are enjoyed. Fernet Branca is occasionally shows up in places. I feel like I'm getting schooled by an expert. Uh, well, I did write for Men's Journal uh, on, on the subject of bitters uh, once, Men's Journal being the magazine of men's everyday lives, the <laughs> magazine for men who like to journal. Um, and, uh, and I did write, uh, and, you know, basically, uh, alcohol... Uh, is an incredible solvent, and so for centuries people have been dissolving what they consider to be medicinal cures into alcohol in order to deliver what they consider remedy. to be medicine remedy yeah. exactly. I mean that's what gin is. That's what Benedictine is. The liqueur of Benedictine was put together by the Benedictine monks to cure what ails you, right? And it has an incredible. I mean, I've always sensed that. Yeah. So. You know, and and bitters, with like Angostura bitters, for example, is uh, is sort of the, one of the last remnants of this uh, tradition, right? So bitters was actually Angostura bitters was designed as a uh, a gout remedy for the Bolivian army by a German doctor. Um, are you are you making all this up no. on the fly, or is this because I'm looking no, I'm re- into your eyes and it seems real? <laughs> well, look, I researched it all on the internet, so it it might as well all be made up, as far as I know. 
but it sure does sound good. Yeah. And in Italy... Bolivia. Yeah. And so, and, yeah. But to Italy, no. And Jägermeister. Okay, here oh, we go. Jägermeister. So German. We're on a college campus. Everyone knows. Jägermeister has, has, tastes, tastes like essence of pine cones and old sock and, you know... And licorice is Very licorice Yeah, because licorice like pastis or pernod, licorice is, you know, oh. considered to be uh, a medicinal uh, herb, right? Yes, yeah, settles sure. the stomach. Exactly. A digestif. See? Uh-huh. So long before <laughs> you were chilling Jägermeister and doing, you know, shots off your friends' heads for fun in college... You were drinking it as an old man in Germany trying to feel better. And the medicine did make you feel better, largely because it was alcohol. And Malort is of that tradition, Malort. except M-A-L-O-R-T, with an umlaut over the O. It is, a, it is essentially a, a Swedish schnapp-style, very licorice and wormwoody liqueur. Wormwoody. Yeah, like absinthe. Yes. But it's only in Chicago, and it tastes disgusting. And so I tried to force it on a Chicagoan audience once, like three years ago, and ever since, every time I come back, they force it back on me. And I, I am forced to How much did you imbibe? I, look, I, I don't measure. <laughs> I'd, I'd, because I'd you several, won't or because you several, can't? I had several snifters <laughs> <You did. laughs> over the course of a long, pleasant evening in Chicago. Ooh, so a snifter, quite large. Yeah, I don't think that's the actual glassware that you would use for Malort, but there you have it. Yeah, Malort sounds something more like um, some sort of a stein or but, something, or a no, large no, no, ceramic it's a, it's thing. A, it's, a, it's a sort of tawny-colored spirit. It is. A, I don't even think liqueur would be the appropriate term. It's a liqueur. Okay, you know liquor. what? The, the last time I spoke with you, you were getting some sort of um, other liquor in the mail, I think, that was going to come to you. Did that ever arrive? Like Are you some talking sort about of Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Head Vodka? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am talking about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I have not, I've gotten several of them in the mail. Um, I, I think we're going to, I think when we come back from the break, we should talk about Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Head Vodka. But for now, I should say that you're listening to the Living Writers Program with uh, T. Hetzel and John Hodgman and uh, talking about my appearance at Borders tonight at 7 p.m., which will be a dry appearance, I think. I don't. I'm, I hope there's no more Malort in my future. That's all I have to say. Probably, yeah, probably not. I don't know what they'll... they'll you could have coffee there because they have a Seattle's Oh, I'll definitely best. have coffee. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't mean... They have a Seattle's <laughs> best at the borders? Inside. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Huh. Last time I checked. They don't, uh, there's no local uh, Ann Arbor-based coffee brewery that I should be yeah, working in? Yeah, there is. What's that? There's, well, there's, um, let's see, I think there's a couple places that roast their own beans, but Ruse Roast okay. comes to mind. Um, there's, a, there's a nice, um, but now I'm, now I'm not, there's a nice... Uh, Live radio is, is very unnerving, isn't it? No. <laughs> But I was starting this whole thing out by saying this is the third time I've been on the Living Writers Program here on WCBN FM in Ann Arbor. But the first time I've ever been on the program live, I didn't even know that it was live. Oh, really? So you saw me earlier. I'm ambling in late. <laughs> I was looking for you in the hall. It's going. Uh, it's taped. What are they? That's going to be fine. Those people. It's because you're um, a, a minor television celebrity that you just think your fame precedes you, and you just. You know, yeah. We lock the doors, but he keeps coming back. Folks. I'm on famous minor television personality <laughs> time, which is started up when I get there. You know, Michigan time is like 10 after the hour. So is it really? Yeah. Is that what they say? Yep. Yep. I've it's, never heard that. It's Why good. are Michiganders uh, notoriously late? 
It's something about getting to Are class. They leisurely? On t- <laughs> well, some people actually, um, in one of my English 125 classes, yeah. the students from New York and elsewhere in Connecticut were getting really, they were writing rants and they were getting riled up about how slow, um, Michigan people are crossing the roads. Like they just oh, sort really? of lollygag as they're, you know, in, in pedestrian ways. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I was, I was screaming at my limousine driver about that very thing <laughs> on the way over here. That's why I was late. It's your fault. <laughs> Blame Michigan. No, life life is lived well here in, in Ann Arbor, is it not? Oh, it is. It's a beautiful day, John. I think you. I know. You just, it was gorgeous. It is, and you, we're now we're going to take a break. Do you want to? Do you want to sign off for us on the break? I know. I, we, I did the break thing too early, you, but that, but it was beautiful. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. You're listening to the Living Writers Program on WCBN FM with T Hetzel and John Hodgman. Guest tonight at uh, Borders Books at 7 p.m. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back to talk about Crystal Head Vodka and other things. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of my favorite songs, except I know that one. Yeah, that was that's one of my oldest favorite songs, Brian. Brian Delaney. Brian Delaney picking the music, spinning the wheels of steel <laughs> on the Living Writers Program on, on WCBN FM in Ann Arbor live Woo! with your guest John Hodgman, <laughs> appearing tonight at Borders at seven p.m. and your host T Hetzel. I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, am I? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Close enough. Close. Yep. Yeah. All right. Good. Hi, T. Hi, John. Nice to see you again. <laughs> so nice to see you. It's really good to see you. In the break, T was saying we ought to talk about writing and not just alcohol. <laughs> right. and that's probably true. I'm such a stickler. I have a new book out. It's called More Information Than You Require. With Riverhead. Yes. The paperback edition just came out. The new and expanded paperback edition 
with uh, extra more information than you require. <laughs> extra, extra. Yeah, and it's also unlike this hardcover edition, which I'm fondling right now, which is very hard. You can hear it as I slam it against the table. The paperback uh, is very soft, very floppy here. <laughs> Listen to this. I wonder if you can hear this. That indeed, as a witness. It's like uh, paperback. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like if you ever if you ever uh, are a foley artist and you need the sound of bats, use my book. But it <laughs> but it makes it more portable. For example, you can tuck it more places when you're taking it with you. When you're like, where would you think people should take the the latest? Your latest paperback. Where should they take yeah, it? Yeah, like where should they take it with them? Because it is more por- portable. It's soft. It, it fits is. in more it is, places. It is arguably pocket-sized. If Not, you have a, no, you'd have to have a giant well, pocket. Well, you have to buy the special pants that I'm marketing <laughs> that have pockets just for just for the book. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't get the Groom's Magazine. If you were at the helm of the Groom's Magazine, you would have had it. The, um, the scary, thing is, the the scary thing is that if I had been offered the helm of For the Groom Magazine, I would have taken it. <laughs> Because I do, I basically, you know, when I get those jobs, I'm like, maybe this should be my job for the rest of my life. Because of the stability or the absurdity? Oh, just the feeling of, I, you know, um, well, there was, an, there was an aching for stability when, when I was a freelance magazine writer. Do you know what I mean? Um, because you, you, it is exhausting being... Because you're always, you're looking. Yes, you are constantly searching for work, for work, for work, for work. And you don't, there's a a wonder to being self-employed. How long did you do it? Uh, it's about 2000 through 2006 was the last piece that I wrote for a magazine where it was still a big part of my professional life. And so does it, does it make you sad in a way? Because like, was that also compelling you to write more? I mean, I know you have these two books now, well, so that's a different kind of writing. Well, I think that, um, I really enjoyed it because the reason that I was a freelance magazine writer was not because I loved to write. I hate to write. Writing is very... It's annoying. That's the annoying chore at the end of the pleasant task of researching and finding out things and meeting interesting people and thinking about things. But don't you get when you start, like, even if you're, like, resisting it, once you start, then you're you're transported, like, you're you're not... You are making something, you're different, you're... Yeah, that does happen. And, I mean, there there is a reason that I am... A writer and that even though well there are a number of reasons why after i wrote my first book um i and then became a famous minor television personality and arguably never had to write another book again arguably um i uh, i did anyway and i talk about it in my new book and maybe i'll read a little a little portion of that would that be acceptable please that might explain explain why you may recall My previous book conveyed a certain amount of information on the history and habits of the wandering men of the 30s known as hobos, and this sparked a measure of hobo mania among a certain segment of the reading population, and I was grateful to receive factual information that you had uncovered about hobos, and especially news of hobo-themed products and services that hoped to to seduce customers with the timeless romantic allure of being a drunk, penniless vagrant during the Great Depression. Examples included hobo brand hobo soup, Uh, which you can find in the Vermont Country Store catalog. Uh, The Hobo Deli of Kingston, New York. Someone sent me a picture of the Hobo Deli in Kingston, New York, uh, which um, the sign is reproduced here in my book. It offers extra-large eggs for 99 cents, hot soup chili, and oiled ham for $2.99. Oiled ham. Help wanted. 
uh, hobo Halloween costumes for children, recently featured on uh, an episode of Mad Men. A very common Halloween costume Ooh. for many, many decades. Like with a stick? Yeah, um, with a bindle stick. Mm-hmm. A, bindle a bindle stick. A bindle stick, that's right. Stick. Yeah. Back when, you know, children liked to dress up as penniless vagrants during the Great Depression. Did you ever um, try to run away from home and, like, fashion your own bindle stick? No. Even though you didn't know as a child why? No. No, oh. I was a happy child. <laughs> Oh, I, was an, I was an only child, first of all, which means a happy child. <laughs> Why is that? Why all the attention? Okay, yes, it's just you and your mom and dad, and the th- you know you're you're like you're like uh, Nick and Nora Charles and Asta you're going as- around solving. You're Asta. Asta. You're solving <laughs> mysteries. There's a. I mean, it's presuming that you come from a happy a happy family, you know, an intact two parent home. Um, which is that's by no, assuming a lot. Well, yeah, and is no, by no means the standard for happiness in the world, of course. But you know, it, it, there is something special about uh, two parents and an only child. It creates a very stable triangle relationship-wise, and um, and it's, uh, it was not something I wanted to leave. I had uh, I had two rooms. <laughs> we lived in a large house, and I had I had a suite of rooms to myself. I was like, yeah. I was like a bachelor visitor from afar in this house. Do you know what I mean? Like, was one you know, I would wander around at the age of 10 or whatever in smoking jackets and go, hello, mother and father. Very good shirred eggs this morning. Uh, so, no, I did not want to be a hobo. But the fun stopped. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there another question you wanted to ask? All right, then I'll, I'll return to the text if you don't mind. Um, but the fun stopped when news came to me via the internet, courtesy a man named Ape Lad, regarding an actual product called Dick Van Patten's Hobo Chili for Dogs. And at first blush, it all seemed perfectly innocent. A hobo-themed dog food created and sold by the actor Dick Van Patten of Eight is Enough fame. Uh, although he was now, uh, in his new venture, going under the sobriquet Chef Wolfgang. But upon further investigation, I learned that Chef Wolfgang was not only making hobo chili for dogs, he was also offering three other ethnic-themed dog foods, including Irish stew for dogs and Chinese takeout for dogs, each featuring an illustration of Dick Van Patten in an ethnically appropriate costume accompanied by an ethnically appropriate dog. So Chinese takeout with dogs. You can see here on the radio, everybody, here's Dick Van Patten and wearing a sort of an old-timey Tintin in the Blue Lotus style <laughs> Chinese silk suit and hat. Yeah, and not, next to him, not Enter the Dragon. No, no. And next to him is, um, what uh, kind of dog is that? Is it a Taipei? Oh, yeah, I think that's or, a Taipei, yeah. yeah, we'll say. Okay. And in, and One in, of the like, real, like big folds of wrinkled yeah, skin big, dogs. big foldy dogs. And uh, Sharpay, Sharpay. <laughs> oh, Sharpay. Sharpay, yeah. And here's... Um, <laughs> Taipei, rather, is like the capital. That's <laughs> a place. <laughs> Um, More coffee. And here's uh, and here's Dick Van Patten and Hobo Chili for Dogs dressed up as a hobo with a bindle stick over his head and a dog that looks suspiciously like <laughs> the dog in the Canadian television program The Littlest Hobo about a dog that would wander the country and drink wood alcohol until it died. Now, normally, obviously, a children's program, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> a popular children's Canadian children's program. I'm sure that your listeners in Canada know it very well. Now, normally I would cheer such a sublimely unlikely product, except for the fact that it was a fact 
None of it was made up. And since you and I are friends, I trust you can appreciate how, for someone in my line of work, the making up of fake trivia, the hideous veracity and non-jokeness of this product would be distressing to say the least. You might even say that Dick Van Patten was literally stealing food from the mouths of my children and feeding it to ethnic dogs. And that, my friends, cannot stand. So I realized it was time to restock the pond of fact with fiction, as it were, with more information than you require. You'll see from the page numbering of my new book that it is not a sequel. In fact, the page numbering picks up directly where the page numbering of the previous book left off. And further, I announce here that the work will not be complete until the third and final volume emerges sometime in the future. Yeah, when is that? I mean, Um, well, the future, I know, but... (laughs) Sometime in the future. Right now, I've just completed the extra more information than you require for the paperback edition. We recorded an audio back edition, a 13-CD audio back edition of the book with various guest voices. Don't be concerned. Don't be concerned because the last two CDs are um, just Mole Man names, so you can just skip those. And now, uh, slowly, I'll start to turn my attention to the third book and completing completing the total volume of complete world knowledge that the three books will comprise. Do you already have notebooks started on that, though, John? Like, where you have, like, you're already sort of, because I picture you sort of collecting and, 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 and storing, maybe in your second room, <laughs> even as a child. <laughs> but then, like, how, or is it something where when you I, make the book, it's going to be a frenzy, it's going to be intense, and you're going to be... You know, people may, might avoid you because they don't want to be in your orbit where you'll, like, put them in the book or whatever. It's true. People may want to avoid me. <laughs> but I can't, I, know, I can't speak to their... I will tell you all about my process of writing after a break that we'll be taking in a few minutes. <laughs> but we still have a couple minutes. Oh, we do. I did it too early again. I'm not made for live radio. But you used to be a DJ. I was briefly a DJ, a college radio DJ in, in Tufts, uh, in Medford, Massachusetts for Tufts University. Not because I went there, because I, live, I lived around there. And they, had, they opened the community, radio, they opened the, the station to members of the community. That's like us. Yeah. That's, yeah. So you have like w- weird older people and smart alecky high school students coming in and spinning the platters. Yeah, that was me. And I probably played that uh, pocket, uh, jockey full of bourbon about 5,000 times on my show <laughs> on one Friday afternoon alone. Um. But, you know, I, I will talk more about the process after the break, but the thing was that um, I, I'm i just just now beginning the process again. And um, after really a, almost a full year of not meaningfully writing. Um, hmm. And I'll tell you why that happened when we come back. Was it something to do with Bored to Death? You mean the television program? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on HBO. I keep I keep setting up these perfect outs. No one no one takes them. <laughs> How much what do we got? 2 minutes. All right, listen. I'll take no, you know what? I'm gonna forget the tease. Forget the tease. Someone someone would you know, listeners might get the impression that you don't even want to be here, John. No, here's the thing. Breaking my heart. The thing No, no, no. The thing is um uh let me think of how I can condense this into 2 minutes. <laughs> Uh, Elvis Costello once was asked whether his second album was going to be, you know, as good as his first. And he said, I know it will not be as good as my first. And the interviewer was uh, alarmed by his, his sort of candor and said, why? And he said, well, you have your whole life to write your first album. And then you have like three weeks to write your second album. 
and you have and it's true that you know so much of my life was downloaded uh, into the first book, the areas of my expertise, jokes that I have been telling for years and years and years and years, that writing the second book was a daunting and thrilling and exciting process. But by the time the second book was done, um, or by the time I was working on it, my life had changed dramatically because of the first one, that I had, my whole career had been kidnapped and I had been put on television and put into a position where, A, I might never have to write again for, for the money, if I didn't have to, and I already said it's hard to write because I don't like to do it. I do it because I have to. Um, and two, because uh, my life was now far stranger uh, than the lies I could make up about it. Um, so I have. So then you had a memoir it, on well, your hands. <laughs> unfortunately, I had to start changing the kinds of jokes that I was telling a little bit and the place that I was telling them from. I was no longer a professional writer. I had to acknowledge that I was now a famous minor television personality, whether I liked it or not. And now it looks like you've got super comfortable with that. With well, your it is very stretch Hummer. It is. It is very. It is very comfortable. But I am now just really beginning to miss writing a lot, and um, and thinking about the excitement of going back to it. I mean, I've written throughout. Obviously, I've written for the Daily Show. You know, lots and lots and lots of material. I've Are you writing writing more material than what you're on the show, like no, performing? No, or is that, and, indeed, okay. and indeed. Okay. You know, it is now fully entered into a collaborative mode where often I won't even write the first drafts of the scripts. I will, I will come in and there will be a draft done, and and then I will start collaborating and adding to it. Um, although there are certainly any number of them where I did write the first draft of the script, but it's very collaborative to be sure. So it's not as though there hasn't been a lot of creative output in the various things that I've done and the talks that I've given and that sort of thing. But you know that uh, right because you gave the address to the um, the radio. And television, uh, yeah, the uh, dinner that I had, correspondence with, yeah, the dinner. dinner I had with our president, yeah. yes, which you called the nerd prom. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't even call it. That's what they call it. <laughs> That's what people in D.C. call it, the radio and television correspondence awards dinner. They call it nerd prom. Actually, they call it nerd junior prom. <laughs> nerd prom proper would be the right the White House correspondence dinner, which is what Stephen Colbert did. Ah, oh, yes, a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, so there was certainly a lot of output, to be sure, but um, just recently beginning to feel that twinge of wanting to write again and start collecting material again in the way that you described, which was the slower, organic, non-dervishy way of just finding old books and being amazed that such books exist, like 700 Sandwiches, which was the inspiration for 700 Hobo Names, do you know what I mean? And these weird old books and strange recipes and, and sort of forgotten literature that was never designed to remain in print, do you know what I mean? That kind of... Mm-hmm. That kind of writing, and that's how, the kind of stuff I love and love to be inspired by. And how are are you, like, are you finding them in, like, the strange, um, like, second-hand shops? Or are you going to archives or weird, um, like, uh, small libraries? Or? When, when I'm researching... Um, and unfortunately, even it turns out writing fake trivia requires a certain amount of fake research, at very least. Um, 
I usually go to a sort of a round of used bookstores that I like in different parts of the world, and I draw heavily upon the internet, a treasure trove of dubious scholarship, if there ever was one. That would be kind of a great book, like where you have like the map of where you're going. Yeah. And oh, but then you probably don't want to give up these places because they're they are like your treasure chests, so you wouldn't want to necessarily. Yeah, it would be hard for me if people were going into Nancy Dole Books in Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts, and you know scouring the place of the little blue book pamphlets by Gerard, uh, published in Gerard, Kansas in the 20s about how to tie all kinds of knots. I need that material. And it's rightly yours, John Hodgman. You're listening to WCBN. Oh, Ann Arbor. FM. <laughs> FM. WCBN FM, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, it's the Living Writers Program with your guest, John Hodgman, and your host, T. Hetzel. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about Bored to Death and maybe some more about the president and, um, and some more about why I hate writing. Rejoice and be glad, for the springtime has come. We can throw down our shovels and go on the bum. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. The springtime has come, and I'm just out of jail. Without any money, without any bail. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. I went to a house, and I rapped on the door. And the lady says, bum bum, you've been here before. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. I like Jim Hill, he's a good friend of mine. That is why I am hiking down Jim Hill's main line. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. I went to a house and I asked for some bread. And the lady says, bum bum, the baker is dead. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. Why don't you work like other men do? Now how can I work when there's no work to do? Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. Why don't you save all the money you earn? If I didn't eat, I'd have money to burn. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Hallelujah, bum again. Hallelujah, give us a handout to revive us again. I don't like work, and work don't like me. And that is the reason I am so hungry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's WCBM FM, Ann Arbor. This is the Living Writers Program. That was Harry Haywire McClintock singing Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. (laughs) Harry Haywire McClintock singing one of the greatest hobo songs of all time, second only to Big Rock Candy Mountain, also recorded by Harry Haywire McClintock. 
He claimed to have written it, but it's under dispute. Wait, when was it written? Like, when when was it recorded? That recording was probably from the 40s. This was high. That was high, high hobo romanticism period, 40s and 50s. So you didn't meet him, for Harry example, because he was already gone. I do not believe that he's living. Yes, okay. that's correct. Did you, did you um, like, for your research, like, how many hobos did you talk to and, and were Zero you? hobos. And no, you? that's not true. There. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know when you might be meeting a former well, hobo. Well, the reality is that the hobo, hobo. the hobos that I, the hobos in the that I discuss in the book, and this is something that comes up from time to time. I'm talking very specifically about the uh, wandering subculture of a vagrant men, some working, some non-working, self-identifying as hobos, uh, specifically in the 1920s and 30s, and not not really thereafter. I mean, the culture of hopping trains and the language of hobos and the slang and, and the, the sort symbols. of hieroglyphic hobo symbols and stuff very quickly by the 40s and 50s um, really became a thing of lore more than reality. And certainly nowadays, you know, the, there is train hopping that goes on. And and indeed, I, I, I met a guy who spent some time hopping trains and writing about hobo lore. But, uh, in, you know, this is this is a nostalgic movement as, as much as anything else. Look you know? homeward, Angel. John Hodgman. No, but yeah, do you- that's what that, I, yeah, that you're talking about. My book, Look Homeward Angel. Yes. Um, but it is it, there. There is a you can't go home again quality to hoboism because I mean the reality is that you know like anyone who hops a train and takes on a hobo nickname and 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 scrawls hieroglyphics is imitating something a, a legitimate subculture that doesn't really exist anymore it is a nostalgic sort of imitative culture these people are phobos <laughs> but I, I but I, okay. the hobos i think the, the 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 legitimate hobos of today would be well, that's only because you're framing it in a historical context like you're you're putting well that i'm not on suggesting there because- that there are, there are not impoverished people and i'm not suggesting there aren't homeless people no but i think there are people who live by the train like there yeah. is still the oh, yeah, culture of doing that, but they're no, not no, it's not I, but i would not say that there is a continuity of culture there is a there are, i know that there are look i read the same internet websites you do I see the same photo galleries of uh, kids with dreadlocks hopping trains. And I know like on, that there's like a the story or something too. Yeah, I know that there's like radio. a yeah, there's a neo anarchist sort of like dropout culture of kids who who you know not just kids though. Joe. Well, not not children. I'm talking about you know like <laughs> young people who who ride the rails. But as I say, that that is whatever that might be. That is not what I'm talking about. And I would argue that is there is no continuity of hobo culture between the 30s and them they are they are imitating something just as the the folks who go to the hobo convention in brit iowa a lot of those people are riding the trains but that's a romantic a romanticization of what i think was a very hard and dangerous life you're the expert no i that's just my opinion <laughs> well you're supposed to be the expert i know i know but do you see how i immediately well, bristle usually. when someone gives me the 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 label that i chose for the myself mantle. yeah exactly Actually, I've never seen you bristle before. Um, Usually, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I can make myself look big like a cat. <sighs> Raise up or all like my, my hair. Sweater, yeah, exactly. Like a flying squirrel. Um, yeah. So Harry Haywire McClintock <laughs> sang that song. Hobo material. But I was thinking about what I said before. If I if I may return to that about how I have to go back to writing. 
Um, and and then I don't write because I like to. I write because I have to. But is um, that because it, is it a compulsion? Are you talking about that, or or because it it's connected to how you make your way, your living in the world? Well, that's that's the 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 sort of the the difference that I've been exploring. Do you know what I mean? Because I initially wrote. I initially didn't write at all. I was a professional literary agent, specifically so I could avoid writing. I mean, I loved writing. I loved editing. I loved reading good writing. I loved being there at the creation of good writing. And if I could get someone else to do it for me, even better. And that's why I represented novelists and and so on, because like I could have an idea to share with them or encourage them to explore an idea they had come up with, and then I didn't have to do any of the, the grunt work of tippy-tappy, tippy-tappy. Do you know what I mean? That's the sound of someone typing. Um, then I realized, though, that I, I, I wanted to write, um, and I'll, 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 I'll table why I wanted to write. I also knew that I could write really well, and that it was a way to make money in the world that was going to be more lucrative, ultimately, than, than literary agenting would be. And so, I, out of a sort of economic obligation to myself and to what would soon be a family, I decided to start writing for money. And then there was always a reason to write. When the financial part kind of became less important, there was, well, why do it still if you don't like it so much? And the reality is, of course, I don't like it. It is very hard. What you say, though, is absolutely true, that when you are writing something that is good, it is like uh, receiving dictation from some incredible part of your brain that you adore and want to know very well. And it is a very, very, very pleasant experience um, that is impossible to replicate in anything else and is, and is more rewarding than anything else. The problem with it is that you have to go through a lot of annoying sort of warm-up in order to find that that open channel that that brings the good writing down from wherever it is in that other part of your brain. And lots of times when you sit down and go through that warm-up of writing or, you know, researching or just starting to pound out sentences, that open channel doesn't emerge and you just don't, it just doesn't happen. And there's kind of no worse feeling than that when it's just like, oh boy, that's it. Um, So, you know, uh, I, uh, once I became a famous minor television personality, uh, it became very easy to to take a moment um, and live like Harry Haywire McClintock. Hallelujah, I'm a bum. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put myself through that anymore for a while. 